show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On this episode, I'm sharing a really beautiful conversation I had with Lorraine Delaney about codependency from a spiritual perspective as well as a social perspective. Why would we engage in the contract of mutual limitation from that social consensus perspective? And then more spiritually, navigating how merging with the other is to have a divine experience, how it becomes tempting to see the other as the source and lose touch with the source and the source within, and then as a result, lose our balance in the connection in ourselves. As I share this conversation now, it's toward the end of the Venus retrograde. Venus will station direct in two days, January 29th. And I hope that this conversation can be a balm or an inspiration for integrating whatever Venus has brought you this retrograde season, whether those were challenges or gems or celebrations and accomplishments, lessons learned perhaps easily or with challenge. Whatever it was, it probably had something to do with the Venus archetype, which relates to how we love. And, you know, Venus relating to Libra and Taurus and Libra being kind of how we harmonize with the other, how we balance or lose our balance, and Taurus being about our own values and self-esteem and getting to know our own essence and energy. And the interplay between those two things is like an ongoing dynamic. As I was thinking about this, you know, the content in this episode, I was remembering this distinct memory of being a young child, probably like five or six or something. And I had a lot of philosophical moments as a kid, but I was putting my head onto the ground and looking at the world upside down and wondering if I would ever get married, have a house, be like all the other families around me doing that. And the vision felt intangible, wispy, a question, not a firm knowing within me was this strange, mysterious feeling as a kid. It felt strange to know I'd grow older someday, but that I couldn't totally imagine who I'd be. And yet this married house, etc. situation was all I knew so far, and it still felt like a dream. Romantic partnership is really important to me, but it's revealed itself to me as something that is only possible, possible meaning true and satisfying for me, If I am connected to myself and to source, and I don't hold this as a vision of needing to get ready or be good enough for the love to appear, Um, but more that I believe love is not something that I can force, um, that I can be available for it, I can cultivate it, 
And since my life is in devotion to magic and enchantment and is spiritually driven, I find that getting lost in the construct of partnership outside of that, like kind of putting spirituality on hold and getting lost in, in the material. And, um, this was something, you know, listening back to this episode, Loren talked about that process of, you know, getting lost in the material. Um, and that was a really beautiful and important reminder, but this sense that, when approaching life from a spiritual perspective, that's the touchstone, right? So I find myself surrendering to my connection with source as ultimate. And there have been times in my life previously where I would have happily, at least for a time, exchanged source for a beloved and reality wouldn't indulge me because such a thing would not be true. So it's been opening up for me this, you know, like life philosophical question of how to live in such a way that is in, in alignment with my truth and with that real desire that I have for connection, but not to get so swept away in it that I forget the deeper context, the deeper truth within me. And so I was really excited, um, you know, and inspired by Lorenz shares in class, um, especially a week that we talked about the Aries Libra axis and that Lorenz shared that she was contemplating codependency. Um, I just thought it would be a great conversation to have here. And it lined up really well with the Venus retrograde. Lorraine inspires me by the way she is so clearly anchored in spiritual perspective and connection to spirit. This conversation was like a transmission for me of remembrance. A little about Lorraine before we begin. Lorraine O. Delaney is an energy medicine healer, astrologist, artist, and education consultant. Her authenticity is wholeness and illuminates the fullness of creation. She is initiated by the ancient rites of the Mune Ki that comes from the medicine people of the Andes and allows for their open-hearted, loving compassion, which has been necessary in their extensive equity, inclusion, and diversity practice and organizing embodied teaching and learning and energy medicine, cosmic counseling work. Lorenz love, surrender, and deep reverence for Pachamama, Mother Earth, that inspires her passion and vision for a new earth and a new collective dream, establishes Loren as one of the most profound thinkers and transporters of nascent higher consciousness for her generation. I'll leave you to our conversation now. here with Lorraine Delaney, an astrologer, energy medicine healer, artist, and education consultant. I would love to start out by asking you if you've always been tapped into the magical realm or if there was a moment that it began for you. I think that I've always been tapped in. Um, I remember like as a kid, I was in Jamaica one summer and I sat beside like a guava tree and there was this hummingbird just 
buzzing away around my head. And I was just like in awe. I remember making a wish on the hummingbird, right? For like all the things I wanted when I was an adult. And I always felt like everything around me was alive. And I was only child for a really long time. So like that was like my world. Everything that wasn't necessarily like things you could touch, but that I could feel. And I was always like creating worlds in between worlds and seeing like magic and everything happening. So everything has always been magical to the point where I got really bored really quickly with like mundane stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Do you feel like the hummingbird wish came true? I think it did just not in the way that I thought it would have when I was a kid. I would have wished for like abundance, right? In the way that I could understand it in a very narrow way. And that summer I actually spent most of my time in the guava tree, eating guavas like morning, noon and night. It was my favorite thing to do. And like for someone who was sitting in this tree forever, you would think the guavas would be finished. And there was always this plentiful of guava to the point where like now I still love guavas. And my grandmother witnessed this. She's also a Libra like myself. And she made it a point to make me guava juice like the day that I had to leave back to, to go back to Canada where like I live. And so when I look at the abundance, like I see that as like something magical and like out of this world, especially like in Canada where there's like not fruit trees, you can sit it and just eat fruit like that. And all the fruit is like delicious, no bugs, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it came true in that way. Yeah. Sweet. So the kind of origin for this conversation was that you shared at some point that you've been getting downloads around codependency from a spiritual perspective. Um, so how did that kind of start opening up? Like what's the, the inspiration behind contemplating this? Well, I think it's a lot of things to be honest. Um, so my background has been a lot of studying around critical race theory, feminist theory, intersectionality, like different frameworks, all geared towards understanding how to solve the issues in the world. And thinking about how the personal is political. So that's like one of the principles that we take from like feminist theory. And recognizing like the norms or ideas based on identities and all these assumptions. And looking at that and grounding it into like, let's say a class analysis of thinking about like interchanges between resources for people to like essentially live. And the way that it assumes a type of codependency, like if I'm being this ideal woman that let's say was given to me based on some scripts in my family, which I definitely received, right? And, you know, sidebar, I'm nothing (laughs) based on what was expected of me, Um, you know, and coming to even just understand and find more comfort in my skin and have to like really give myself value for who I am and connect that to principles and a vision and ideals that I, I live by. And so to sum it up, when I looked at the things that I was initially rebelling against and moving away from, they were codependent in nature. 
And then we have this whole school of like narcissism show up and toxicity, like on social media and become like popular common sense. And I think that with the energy medicine background, which is traditionally understood as like shamanism, it just really clarified for me wholeness and the ways that society, traditionally Western society normalizes um, the opposite of wholeness, which essentially comes to be codependency. You're rewarded to be something that you're not necessarily, that's not necessarily true to yourself. And when you take the courage to be yourself, typically in the hero's journey, there's all these obstacles. People don't like you. You have to risk being alone. And God, like thinking about like even sociobiology, the idea of being alone is like being left to die because we need a social group to belong to. It's a part of what it is to be human. And so it all just came down to me in terms of understanding like the way capitalism is like positive. And I don't think capitalism is the evil that everyone thinks it is. You know, I think it's a part of the expression of what has been normalized as our relationships to each other and to ourselves in ways that have prioritized our survival in a material based world that is not necessarily always valued the divine that lives in each and every one of us. And I don't, and recently I was sitting in a pool with one of my neighbors and, you know, I was telling her my woe was about like this whole thing with relationships and seeing the transactional quality that oftentimes, you know, characterizes why people sometimes get together. Right. And having her, you know, affirmed to me that, Hey, this is where people are coming from. People had to survive. There were real material considerations that have been the concerns for generations before and the whole romance that I equate with the magic of just the heart and the dance with life in this nuanced way that really honors and is characteristic of the wholeness and the potentiality that exists within wholeness as something more modern that comes now in this new age and I was just like huh (laughs) well then (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like there is a difference between like this cosmic, unconditional soul love and then this very earthly, um, sometimes transactional, conventional, um, conditional love, right? Like the sense of there being a kind of contract between people of like, this is why we're getting together. And as long as we're following this general rule set, we can continue to be together. But if one of us changes too much or breaks a certain code, then we're going to separate. Where these things are above water and named and like the expectations are clear and where those things are say like unconscious or, you know, where we like really abandon ourselves for the, the union with another. Um, So I think that, you know, coming back to what you were saying about, you know, these kind of cultural codes, um, where do you feel like that fits into like a love ethic, you know, or how we approach relationship with others? If you want to expand on that. That's such a good question. (laughs) Um, I've been thinking a lot about where like this love comes from. 
that sometimes like is maddening in the terms of the ethic that we want to have, but that I believe many of us break when we are enamored with the other. And I think some of us have it in our, our one-to-one partnerships with like maybe romantic partners, et cetera. And I also was thinking about it forming in the womb. Like when the mother and child are sharing the same body for a period of time. And that kind of being this experience that most of us have, I think everyone has at some level, and characterizing something that's seemingly impossible, but that is very much natural to how we all come into this incarnation. And that in some ways we are seeking in an effort to come back into our wholeness. And uh, I was listening to a song by Alicia Keys, her new album. And I can't remember the exact song, but I swear it was code for like her love for her children in a way in which she was like, I'm never going to be this crazy person. And then she's like, yeah, I became one of them. (laughs) You know, that experience of like, like, loving something so much it's like it's like being able to love the source in you in a tangible way outside of yourself so it's like one of the reasons or the sweetness of experiencing yourself through the other and so the love ethic like I could talk all about the love ethic right now because I ain't got no kids (laughs) I don't have that like deep like love and that like that place of death that I think people pass over, like, especially with like giving birth, people don't talk about that. They normalize it. Like it's just this easy lollipop thing. And it's nothing of the sort, you know, it's literally moving through the world, like through the world, the threshold of like the brink between life and death to bring forth an incarnation of love of life. Right. That is literally something that you have experienced as yourself. And so we all have this memory and how we deal with it is unique to our karmas, you know, I don't know. What are you thinking about that? Yeah. I mean, this, that you bring up birth kind of brings in the Aries separation from source. Right. And so the one becomes two essentially, and that brings us the Aries Libra axis, but from going from being part of the, you know, universal consciousness or source, if we want to look at it this way to then incarnating as a unique individual, there's always that longing for reunion remembrance. And we play in this realm with that in terms of the Aries Libra axis and being, you know, attracted to the other. And I remember one time someone telling me that one of the greatest intoxicants is like returned romantic love, like mutual reciprocal, especially in that kind of honeymoon phase, because you're kind of entering into that consciousness of oneness that we don't necessarily tap into that profound ecstatic feeling state on our own. I think we can, but we often are awakened to that depth of sensation through the other. And then it opens up a lot of complexity around um, you know, what we're doing to 
keep forging that bond or trying to get that bond or manipulate the other to keep playing the game, you know, or uh, manage how we're showing up to manage the relationship. And I think that that brings in this constant tension that is the Aries Libra axis of how do we be ourselves in our relationships moment to moment to moment to moment? Um, and where do we fall asleep and suddenly get into this codependent dance and then kind of jolt awake again and renegotiate the relationship? Yeah. And in that, like, it's making me think of like Pluto, like Pluto and the Plutonic aspects of the games that are played to keep the other enamored and involved and like almost like still in love in that honeymoon phase and the way that like it's it pulls you back to like the I the I am but then also to the we the we are yeah and the many deaths that that are like bound to happen like I have a friend who has a daughter and she once said to me and she was like you never get them the same like every year it's a different person you're meeting you know so this constant evolution and like and like what it does to you like it it, it makes you a wreck like like the idea of um like when you were talking about like the romantic honeymoon phase and when it's returned it's like falling into consciousness it's like the 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 ultimate alignment with source right because essentially we're dancing with ourselves through the other and I just keep coming back to, you know, the, the parent-child relationship. Specifically, I think the mother-child uh, relationship, just because, like, with my own mother, like, crazy, like, crazy shit. <laughs> and, you know, I had to look at some really hard stuff in the dynamic. And I came to, like, and I sat with Source, and I was like, I oftentimes, when things are really unclear for me, I sit and I ask Source to let me see it through Source's eyes. And then moments come and I catch clarity. And in this particular situation with my own mother, like I experienced like a lot of what people call like gaslighting, you know? And with the download I received, it was understanding that it's like someone still trying to hold on to that high of that person who's so in love with them, who who holds them on such a pedestal because our parents are are two our first you know embodiment of god <laughs> our consciousness like you know and thinking about the return love between a child and a parent is also that deeper level of you know feeling source because you felt it also in your in your bones in your blood right and then you think of the way the culture um privileges and glorifies and normalizes these conditions through family that in truth are also social constructs. And for myself, you know, I was having to look at some really hard truths in terms of, you know, the ideas of obligation and even my own responsibility in my relationship with my mother to the point in which, you know, the same way that I've changed and evolved through my growing, you know, through my chronological growing and changing through Saturn time, um, she too has done the same. And perhaps like this, these labels of like, okay, mother in this particular ideology is not who she is and doesn't give her the space to, to be who she is. And realizing that 
in all of my disappointments, let's say, in a way I was disappointing myself because I was holding her in this ideal and this vision that really and truly was that that was my um like delusion what people would say even though our society would suggest our society would force and or encourage that delusion and it also made me realize that like you know back to the the Aries Libra axis people are doing what they want to people will do what they're what they need to do or whatever they think they need to do to get their needs met and again it's within this structure of codependency that's so normalized and I think with you know, that high, the intoxication of, of feeling aligned with source to the other is a really hard thing to forego. <laughs> very, very hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so relationships set up such a mirroring dynamic. Um, and it's interesting because while I'm single, I'm not um, in that intense kind of mirror dynamic, at least in the romantic sense, there's always mirrors, um, in all of these other ways. But then I've noticed that if I am not acting authentically with another person, say I'm overextending myself because I have an idea of how available I'd like to be or how open I'd like to be, but it's not the truth in the moment, it doesn't even work. There's a sense that like, it's almost like the glitch that's happening internally shows up in the dynamic. Um, and so one of the things that we talked about, um, in our earlier conversation about this was like, where on the spiritual path or like self discovery path does codependency stop offering returns, right? Because some people might be content ish in say like a long-term relationship or a marriage and it's not, not working for them at the deepest level, but they're okay with where it's at until this certain threshold of self-awareness comes up. Um, if the relationship isn't, you know, matched to that person and one person say shifts quicker than the other, or has these new realizations that are outside of the context of the relationship, it becomes difficult to maintain and hold those earlier constructs. And so even within, you know, marriage or that kind of idea of, of this really long-term commitment, um, what happens when something changes and we have to kind of be honest about that, or, you know, maybe I'm getting on a little bit of a tangent because thinking about if marriage works or not, you know, is a big kind of rabbit hole in some sense, but just that idea that, one could be involved in relationships for a long period of time and be fine. And then some other souls find themselves very um, not content in relationships in some sense, like they're, they're not able to just kind of easily settle into something. Um, one way that I've tried to understand this is maybe people that are uh, have more conventional values can easily find another person who shares that conventional value matrix where it's like, okay, we're going to get married, get a house, have a kid or several kids. And like, this is the reality that we're opting into, but the more individuated or outside of the norm that a person is, um, these kind of decisions around what we want in relationship or what we want to co-create become like increasingly larger. Like we have to make all these little decisions, um, about what we're trying to co-create with another person. And I think that when you go off the script, off the conventional script, 
there's a lot more moments to kind of assess whether something's true for us or not. Um, what do you think? I think a lot about that. That's, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> I really am resonating with the, the whole consensus aspect of it in terms of people who are more conventional find it easier just to like get together, you know, make a family, make a life and, and live and do their and fulfill their respective roles, right? Essentially. And then I also think about uh, the times we're living in now, you know, the whole um, coming age of COVID and the COVID relationships and also the way in which COVID tested relationships. And I feel like it's almost like a larger narrative of what, like a larger, more like what I mean larger, I mean macro narrative of what you're describing. You know, the time where codependency is not supported energetically. You know, and I think that same way that as individuals, we make agreements with our souls. I think collectively we make agreements too. And I think COVID is one of those collective agreements where it's saying, hey, we're here to wake up and individuate, you know, regardless of the old consensus, which has served us to the point in which it's allowed us to have union right? Thank God for those conventional beliefs or many of us wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, I do feel like it's hard in terms of trying to wrap our head around co-creating with someone when there's so much bigger dreams and things that are not necessarily known, but felt, you know? And I don't think it's hard in terms of like, it's impossible or it's hard to come by. I think it's hard to, to maybe sometimes ease the mind to want to create the safety that inevitably becomes a concern when we're working with our most valuable part, which is our heart, you know, that vulnerability. Like I was actually, ah, I was in like a little situation <laughs> situationship I love the word <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot of the time <laughs> right um so w- we were having some like hard discussions kind of and for me it was also like it was also exciting because I love to learn so every little thing for me is a learning experience so I'm just constantly like absorbing information and you know through this experience I came to even understand some of my own processes in terms of the way my mind can get um, become overactive when it's out of control, specifically with things that it's never done before. And in this way, like it's just trying to keep me safe, <laughs> you know, and safety in in being that it's willing to keep me keep me small <laughs> to mm. keep me safe, even though you know my being is inherently expansive because that's what we're here to do. And it's making, it made me realize also the way that's very normalized in our society. When we talk about people growing apart, you don't think twice about it. We're like, oh, they grew apart. Okay. Yeah. We don't, we don't ask too many questions. And however, that is precisely what expansion does. People are growing. And so coming back to what you were discussing about conventional beliefs, you know, that supports people to maybe resist their own expansion, stay small for their relationships, AKA, you know, very clear codependency. And at times when people find their way forced out of that, the universe is not supporting it. You know what we call it? We call it narcissism. We have a perpetrator and we have a victim. That's what happens because there's not enough like comfort with the expansion to 
step into who one has been called to be in a way that one's essentially comfortable or society has allowed a particular narrative for that person to easily make that, um, that leap forward, let's say. Wow. And yeah, um, I was also thinking about my, like my conversation with this situation, within this situation and like having to like swallow some really hard truths about my own past and, you know, fear around my own expansion in a relationship and also like shooting down any, you know, constructs around romanticism that were in my brain in terms of like this one person, you know, has this one forever and only made specially for me. No girl. <laughs> and you know, it was like, okay, I finally get it. And I'm plutonic. So for me, like I, I, I have this, I've had this, this deep infatuation with this one, you know, and like wanting to like this, this big love. People don't talk enough about how plutonic energy, scorpionic energy is deeply romantic. People, people don't discuss that enough, you know? However, it's like wanting to, again, the control aspect of the divine of that coming into alignment with source energy and just having to like reconcile that the very desire for all of that control, that one deep love is also the impetus for the expansion that becomes, you know, the, um, the evolutionary process to bust through myself, to come back to source in a more fuller way. And so, you know, we're talking about well, now how do we move towards normalizing that in a society in which we can now create in a way where I'm asking for a partner that I can expand, I can grow with, I can, we can become as we are individually, inherently, but also too as, and come back to each other as again, aligned through source energy, through our divine connection, which I guess in the word is the spiritual connection of partnership that hasn't been normalized outside of like, twin flame energy and this whole narrative that just like come on shut the fuck up that's not like it's not we're talking about freedom the freedom to be and to become what are your thoughts hmm. <laughs> I get so transported when you speak so I you know what you said about that nature of expansion and the way that we'll keep ourselves small to be codependent to another or to the culture is huge. Um, I've definitely encountered that throughout my life of like, every time I want to go deeper into my interests that separate me more and more from being a normal person, <laughs> I make that choice. Like the energy inside of me can't be repressed at that point. It's like, I'm going to go further down the rabbit hole and just trust that this will help my intimacy as opposed to hinder it. It's definitely going to narrow the pool, but that's okay. Uh, because I won't be happy anyway, if I don't follow this urge. But another thing was that I had a, um, a vision one time when I was deeply heartbroken. I was, in this profound infatuation, profound kind of soul merging with another person that was beyond what I'd ever experienced in my life. And when it ended, I was like thrown into this also equally deep grief that was beyond anything I'd ever known. 
And at one point in that grief, I saw this image of like a generator that kind of had like a fountain structure. And at the top um, was like source energy, kind of giving all of its energy to the whole system. And then there were all these like little um, energies connected to the source, you know, generator. And these beings connected to the source generator could connect to each other. And sometimes in their connection to each other, forget the source from which they both came. And eventually all of the energy that they were exchanging together would dry up because they were no longer tapped into source. And then quite tragically, you know, they'd fall off the generator. Like that's what the vision was. Not that I don't think we can find our way back, but I do think that that heartbreak feels like such a fall from grace, if you will, or like that sense of falling from paradise. And it's the illusion that another person can be an infinite source of source energy, which they can't because they're a person. And so when it comes to like spiritual partnership, there's kind of like a devotion between each person to be connected to their source. And then this great sense of surrender of like, we can all be connected to source, but we don't know where that's going to take us. We can have certain uh, plans about our relationships and like what we're doing in our lives and source energy always has room for surprise or like the truth has room for surprise of like what's meant to come next. And I think that when we resist the evolution or resist the expansion to try to keep the contracts, um, you know, that that's a form of codependency and yet we're also human. And so if we were just to kind of go with the wind or go with the ocean of every deep inspiration, might we have anything stable in our lives at all? I don't really know. Well, this is the big question, right? And I love that vision. I could literally see it as you were talking. And like, it just reminded me of like holding something in my hand, like something like water, let's say. And then like, it just like blows through your hand. Like you can't hold on to it. Yeah. And I definitely can relate. I've literally like had thoughts along like this wavelength in like relationships that I was so happy with it. And then like, they were there so real. I was like, I could smell them. (laughs) And then they were gone. It was like, but it was perfect. What happened? And um, exactly as your vision described, which was like trying to, like in my experience, trying to, it's like trying to be source energy opposed to allowing source energy to be source energy. And trying to be the thing that I thought or I'm told gets you or keeps the relationship going to the point in which the focus is on the external reality, which um, I've heard a lot talked about as like object referral, opposed to like you're talking about um, mining, you know, inwardly your, your connection to source, to allow the union to do its dance and then essentially being a conduit for the source that again is within oneself and you know honestly sometimes that experience was so frustrating because a part of me wanted to be as easy as like routine this do this do that boom and maybe it's like a little bit of like the libra laziness i don't know (laughs) but it's so much easier to this abc than to like 
you're, you're living in like this constant space of, of what it, of faith. So, you know, in my experience, you know, I've gone too much and too little and doing that dance between, you know, the Aries Libra polarity and the only bomb that has truly ever worked has been to essentially like release. And I think this is where like, you know, your question around if we just like surrender and will we ever have stability? And I find that it's only then that I've ever been able to have stability. And I'm always finding, having to find my way back there. You know, I get so getting so caught up in the material world, you know, does not serve me. (laughs) It serves me in the sense that it deepens my desire for wanting to align back with source, you know? And I find that it let, when I align with source and from that space, I'm able to, to true, truly walk lighter on the earth. So walk lighter and be lighter with material stuff. And it doesn't help that I don't have a ton of earth in my chart, you know? So yes, I was, I was a person who always lost my keys and was like, no, I don't. And like, that was like, I, w- I lost my keys five minutes before, like, seriously, <laughs> serious. Um, but I think the helpful thing in that is being able to tune in and tap in with ease, um, but having to learn the confidence to do so and not feel bad about it, not feel like I'm not doing these particular earthly things that, that I'm supposed to be doing, even though those earthly things, like uh, those earthly things are important because that's where you get to enjoy, you know, you get to be present with the very things that come from the divine you know, come through one's connection to source. And, you know, I don't, it's not that people, it's not that source doesn't live in all of us. It's that when we see the other as source and not ourselves, we're disconnected and then we're holding that frequency. So the other can only either leave and or be with us in the mundane cast out of the garden of Eden. Right. And out of loyalty, many people will stay out of the garden of Eden with their lover or their partner. That's what happens. And then we call it loyalty too. And so coming back to what you said, having to have this loyalty to oneself, this the self-respect to be true to oneself, that's always supporting the alignment, knowing that, yeah, we're gonna come out of alignment because that's what we're supposed to do. Hello, we are human, we're all, we are having material experience, but knowing that like our commitment is to always align with source when and where possible. And then trusting that, you know, what flows and then trusting our connection to source. I think too, when we get kicked out of the garden of Eden, somehow we're, we, we run to punishment opposed to just like it happens, you know, just like, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I leave out of alignment. Or like I leave toothpaste on the, the, the cover sometimes, <laughs> like something as simple as that rather than like, you know, and I think too, this connects again to maybe our cultural understanding of death. Like death is so terrible that it has to be this thing that only happens because you did something wrong opposed to like, it's a part of it and it's not terrible. Yeah, it may have its drawbacks, but it also has its benefits because it allows for life. Hmm. Something that's coming through is like, we've talked a little bit about conditional love and unconditional love. And 
there's a a curiosity I have if like there's different kinds of codependencies for each, because in some sense, conditional love has that. Um, okay, we're going to be following these structures together, but there is also standards potentially in conditional love where it's like defining the boundaries of what one will or won't accept. Um, that could be transferred to unconditional, but then an unconditional sometimes the ego structure of loving someone, no matter what is a form of martyrdom, that is an ego construct, which is a form of codependency in terms of like, I'm going to keep withstanding the storm of this relationship because it feeds this ego ideal that I have about what kind of unconditional lover I am. So there's a kind of, I feel like there's trappings in either in some sense, but it's this deeper, like, you know, we've talked about the Aries Libra, but I feel the like cancer Capricorn and we can bring in the whole Cardinal cross in some sense of like, what are the boundaries and like self accountability and responsibility and also what's truly nourishing in the relationship and being able to be, uh, clear about that in some sense. Um, I'm also curious what your thoughts are on the relationship with all of this evolutionary growth in relationship and the dance of relationship with trauma bonds in the sense of coming together with another person to like, we're like working out our stuff together. Mm. Such good stuff. <laughs> so from the shamanic, um, the shamanic perspective, right? Like, and also I would say an energy medicine healing perspective, like God is everywhere. God is in the mountains and the valleys. And, you know, when talking about like the ego construct that comes in, you know, in terms of like unconditional love, but also spirituality in terms of, you know, people still being human, still having material experience, still having ego, still having a mind that wants to create a structure to keep it safe within the new becoming that has emerged, right? And so I feel that there are always like these divisions or borders being created within and so without. And so when it comes to like what people call trauma bonding, I think that this is something that is actually important for the soul, because if we're always dancing with ourselves, the other is not separate from us. Right. And so essentially what is happening with the other is also happening within. And too often times we try to do the work outside of ourselves. So we're like, you got to do this and you got to do this. Right. And then are feeding this, you know, maybe the pain that comes from that through the, the aligned trauma, but essentially the trauma is aligned with something within each person. So the bond is bringing that to like, to the forefront, it's bringing that to awareness. And so the responsible thing that emerges is a deeper sense or deeper need to, to understand how to love oneself, you know, outside of how we're taught about self-love. Because how we're taught about self-love doesn't correspond to how one is able to receive love because that self is a unique representation of source. So I can't speak to that self. I can only speak to myself, right? Which is also the separation aspect, which is not wrong. The, the, the ego actually can be purposeful. Right. But it's more about can we accept that the ego 
is there for us opposed to, are we in resistance to the ego, which means that we're in resistance to other people's egos, which then creates the ego in like high volume in the dance. Cause a dance is always going to be happening, whether it's with a human person, a human person, an animal, a tree, it's always the dance. It's divinatory. And I feel like this is, this is, that's the Libra axis. Like the other, the other is everything. This is so compassionate to kind of, and just like accepting to see trauma bonds as part of the, the course in some sense, because I think that when people have the realization that they were in a trauma bond, there can be this sense of shame and judgment of what happened as though, you know, that could have been bypassed. Like we can, we can learn certain things cerebrally or conceptually, but relationship really materializes our early material, our soul material, our unconscious, our shadow. And trauma bonds are incredibly poetic and that in the same way that we form these kind of magical alliances between our gifts and like the wonderful, you know, aspects of ourselves, whatever we have going on at like a shadow level or a trauma or a pain level, those also are hooks, you know, where like low self-esteem will hook us into situations that validate that construct. Um, and I think that it's also easy after being in some kind of trauma bond to simply blame the other person or say that the relationship was toxic when it's like, there was a, you know, there was something happening internally as well. And at least from a perspective of soul growth for anyone in a, you know, coming out of a relationship that was toxic, being able to find what got us hooked into the toxicity is a great opener, like a great awakener to move with that, like move that material, see it and not keep bringing it into our next relationship and our next relationship. So I think even at some level, you know, any relationship might not be a hundred percent a trauma bond, but trauma bonds can play a part in beautiful or like very high functional relationships too. Just like where we get those like interlocking triggers, um, places that we play into each other's trauma, drama stuff. Um, and I think that your perspective on it really, um, inspired this, compassion in me about it of like, oh, there's not actually something terrible about this. This is just a layer of relating that is going on. Absolutely. So I'm curious, like from the energy healing, how, um, I would just love to hear more about, you know, your practice and how maybe you've moved with these kinds of themes of, you know, independence versus connection from that perspective. Mm, I love energy medicine. Like it's literally play for me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I use kuyas. So basically like people talk about them, like it's crystals, um, stones, rocks, and rocks are alive too and they can be initiated right and so my kuyas and my mesa are basically an energetic representation of myself I work with them for myself um for others I usually work more with like candles and herbs and things of that nature just to support support like people who are navigating heavier energies just to lighten it up so it's easier to get clarity 
and back to myself because I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how it's helped me to come. To, sorry, what was the question? I I, I was in love. <laughs> <laughs> how has it helped you kind of navigate how you dance in relationship and you know your relationship with yourself and other? Mm. So it helps me to actually like not take things personal, even though it's important to take things personal. Um, so that's like the riddle, but it's, it's legit back. So when things are taken personal, that they're triggering you, it's something it's, it's, it's actually information. It's really helpful information to become aware of, ah, this thing's lingering in my energy. I didn't know that. Right. Cause in my brain, cerebrally, I understand this, but, oh, here it is great. So I'm in the thick of it and now I can actually release it. And so with my kuyas or, you know, other different modalities that that are out there, even through meditation, you know, being aware of it, being aware of it is like, how do you sit with it to like release it? And so it helps me not to judge the other person and therefore judge myself, but to like, oh, be able to release it and then allow myself to bring in more clarity around it. And then I guess what, what it is I want, which is more, more myself. Right. Um, recently I was just thinking about, you know, another friend I have who was like triggered by something that I was like, okay, so this is how I look when I'm triggered by this thing in my life, even though this thing that they're triggered by is not what I'm triggered by. And so in that moment, it was like this really helpful clarity through our relationship for me to be aware of like, you know, one, we're all really in this together you know, and we're always doing a service for each other just because we show up sometimes, you know, even though we want people to show up in this way and that way, and that's never going to stop because hello, we're always, we're always immersed in the multiple thoughts and dreams and realities that are always circling around us. Right. So it's a part of it. Um, but definitely energy medicine helps to, you know, support me, support my energy so I can have clarity. So I can initially be grounded while still, being very immersed within all the different energies and allowing myself to surrender in a way that gives me courage to like walk out my front door. We're living literally in a COVID world, <laughs> like, right? So all those things require a certain level of faith to still walk and be my wholeness without, you know, compromising or doing things that don't feel good to me. Hmm. That's your question. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, so how can people find you and connect with you, work with you? So I'm on Instagram. And so I have a book club because I love reading books, especially books around wellness and everything metaphysics because, and also other stuff too, right? So you can find me on Instagram at Lorenz Book Club. And I also have a website where you can connect with me for astrology and or to see some of my artwork. So I do poetry and I also do filmmaking. And I have a film, a short film with one of my poems you can check out. Um, my website is www.lorenzdelaney.com. Yeah, okay, so you can we'll put that link in the notes. Um, thank you so much for sharing your vision with us. It's always like, like I said, transportive, um, when you share your ideas. Um, and I feel like that is maybe some of that energy medicine practice coming through because it's not just the words, it's like the feeling, uh, inspired behind them and the way that that like carries me. And I feel other people too, from what I've witnessed of being in spaces with you, like into this kind of imaginative off-filled 
like what's the word like a a kind of universal like opening space so thank you so much for holding that frequency um it was such a pleasure to talk with you about spiritual love uh even if we got there through the gateway of codependency which is an important topic as well amazing thank you so much Sabrina I adore you you know this I think your soul is gorgeous I'm just so glad I get to share space with you and I'm thankful for this amazing dope ass podcast you have because honestly it like makes my heart sing and I'm just like really thankful for this beautiful space that we've had together and even the way you've curated it it's just so nice and I feel super (laughs) (laughs) thank you Loren I think your soul is beautiful too (laughs) 